beautiful people. Welcome back to the Pillars Podcast. Thank you so much for your time and attention. I do always appreciate you being here. Of course, I am Dylan Bowman, and I am very excited to share this week's episode, which was an absolute joy to record. I've sort of inadvertently started a little mini series here on the podcast recently focusing on some of the rising stars in trail and ultra running. Of course, we recently talked to Drew Holman and Taggart Van Etten, who very much fall into that category. And today we transition over to the women's side of the sport with another rising star who is making waves and who has huge potential in her future. Today, my guest is Katie Asmuth from Mammoth Lakes, California. Katie has been running ultras since 2015 and has been successful from the beginning, but it was in 2021 that she really came into her own as an athlete. She started the year with a convincing victory at the Bandera 100K in Texas, where she earned a coveted golden ticket to the great Western States 100, where of course, in June of this year, Katie took full advantage of that opportunity in her Western States debut, where she managed a very strong fifth place finish in one of the most incredible women's races of all time. I immediately became a big fan of Katie's and I've very much been looking forward to getting her on the show. And honestly, I think this episode is freaking awesome. I think you guys are really gonna love it. Of course, we talk all about Western states and other running related stuff, but we also talk a lot about human things, motherhood, self-belief, being service oriented in our lives and a lot of other valuable things. I think you guys are gonna love this conversation and become big fans of Katie's as I have over the past several months. Before we get to the show, a few things to plug. First, if you're new to trail running or generally want some direction in your training and a community to enjoy it with, please do go check out the Pillars mobile app where for only $10 a month, you can access tons of great training information and programming from myself and several other experts in the sport. Our women's health module with uh, Keely Henninger went up very recently. We have nutrition with Alex Borsick, strength and movement programming with Matt Walsh, and so, so much more. We also do weekly Zoom calls for all of our members, which is the highlight of my week every week. And today's guest, actually, Katie Asmuth, has even shown up a couple of times recently, which is just been so awesome. So awesome, those Zoom calls. So if you're interested, go search the pillars in the iOS or Android app stores and join our vibrant, growing international community of like-minded people as we try to perpetuate trail culture to the world. Also, if you enjoy the show, but you don't want to join the app, we could still use your support. Please visit our Patreon page where you can sign on to be a supporter of what we're trying to do. You can find a link in the show notes for those who have subscribed to the app or supported us on Patreon. A deep and genuine thank you from our small team here. You are the only reason that this show still exists and I hope 
That fact gives you a sense of personal satisfaction. And finally, if you're not listening to the Trail Society podcast yet, you are really missing out. Go subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms and join Keely Henninger, Corinne Malcolm, and Hillary Allen as they provide great commentary on the sport and also provide a voice of leadership in this uh, turning point moment in the history of our sport. The show is great and we are very proud to be part of it. So go check out Trail Society if you haven't already. Okay, that's it for now. Please welcome the amazing Katie Asmuth. Yeah, for sure. I think it's kind of funny because the first time I met you was when I was delirious after finishing yes. crossing the finish line. I was just, and it makes me laugh because my husband's like, you sounded like a drunk college student and you were like so stoked and elated, but also just like, I guess I took the microphone from Corinne. I was like, what is happening here? I can't believe I have a microphone in my face. I was like, <laughs> and then the second time was when I signed on to the office hours at Pillars yeah. Yeah. and I was like, not going to even show my face, you know, I was just excited to be a part of pillars because what you're doing with pillars is so rad. Yeah. And thanks. I love the community aspect of it. So cool. So I, <laughs> so I signed on and you're like, what up Katie Asmith? Let's I was talk. like, no and way. Like, <laughs> in my car, like not prepared. Anyways. So, well, no, action. it's been great to have you on. I think people have really, uh, really appreciated it. So yeah. And anyway, we'll, we'll, we might as well get started now so that yeah, we can have this it. banter, uh, on air. So <laughs> Anyway, Katie Asmuth, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to see you. I feel like you and I are are full-fledged internet buddies now, and we've been trying to organize uh, a podcast for a little while now, and uh, I'm so happy that we're doing it. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, man. This is awesome. So, you know, we were just sort of talking uh, before, sort of like pressing record about... uh, our fun little online interactions and our finish line interactions at Western States, uh, which is where you landed on my radar for the first time. And I think it's probably where you landed on most everybody's radar. In fact, I think I followed you on Instagram, like during the race that day, because (laughs) I was like, who is this? This is so fun. And you were one of the major stories, uh, on Western States day. You had an incredible, performance at your first time at the race. Uh, it wasn't your first great sort of, uh, introduction on the ultra circuit, but I feel like it really was your international introduction to many of the ultra fans in the community. Um, so I'm really happy that we can sort of talk about that race, but obviously since you are a somewhat newer name on the scene, especially, you know, at the world-class level at Western States, and I feel like you have a really bright future in the sport. I think it'd be fun to kind of start with your, your background a little bit, going back as far as you feel is relevant. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up and your background with sport. Yeah, sure. I'm first of all, just so happy to be a part of this. And I think what you're doing with pillars is so rad and such a huge (laughs) void in the ultra community is finally being filled and you're just awesome. So this is a huge uh, privilege for me to be on and you've had so many incredible guests. I'm like just beginning my my journey in all of this. So, um, but to kind of backtrack who I am, I uh, grew up in Ojai, California. So Southern California, um, I'm one of five kids. Uh, we were in the mountains all the time and 
didn't even consider running in them, but it was always hiking, playing around. I played ball sports growing up, basketball, soccer, softball, volleyball, uh, ended up playing club volleyball in college in Chicago. Um, just fun, loved sports, loved teammates, just had a really awesome childhood, really close to my family. Um, moved back to Southern California, lived in LA, actually with a brother and some college friends. Uh, while, um, after I graduated and I was working in the emergency room at LA County general night shift. So that was quite a tough uh, time. Yeah. So that was when I actually picked up running. Um, my mom also had cancer during that time. She's now doing fine. Thank God. But, um, so that was a really just tough time. And I think I turned to running, like, I think a lot of people do when you need an escape or, um, you know, just need some freedom. And that's definitely when I turned to running and, uh, just total amateur. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, just most of us, you know, you just put on a pair of shoes and go out and run. And, uh, I didn't start really running trails until my honeymoon in New Zealand. We had a camper van and just like camped out and ran around. We were like, might as well start running instead of walking. Cause you just go further. So from there, it was like, why didn't we always run on trails? Uh, so we came back, uh, we were living in Santa Monica at the time and I started running on trails with some local trail running groups and learned a ton and just really understood, you know, the, the backbone trail and tried to figure out how the trails connected and just was like a sponge, you know, um, ultra ladies and the Santa Monica mountain goats, and then met a bunch of friends, like through slop, some work I'll play after I um, got a coach. So it just was like, became a part of my life in a very, um, like quickly, I guess, and just a very fluid way and natural organic way. And just something I loved. And I don't know, I think I just sort of fell into it in that regard. Like one of those, I don't know, it was like, I'm definitely a late bloomer, right? I didn't grow up playing like, doing cross country or was a runner. Yes. I just started, I just had my first coach in 2018, right? Wow. So this is yeah. very new to me. I definitely didn't manifest um, any of I so identify with you. I so identify with you. We need to talk about sort of like the late bloomer, non-traditional background here in a sec, but I'm curious about your background with a big growing up in a a family of five kids in Ojai, a beautiful town in Southern California. I didn't know that's where you were from a fantastic place and a place that is a, a trail Mecca in Southern California. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, obviously a trail Mecca. Neither one of us was, you know, sort of, uh, of know, the right? running persuasion. How, how was I not running it's as like, a kid? I, I, I feel know. like such a wasted opportunity. I feel like totally. 18 yeah, years yeah. of my life were just, uh, totally, uh, wasted, not enjoying the, uh, great vibes out in the hills of Boulder, Colorado. No, I guess I did hike around a little bit. I, I definitely was a mountain person from a young age, but it's funny you and I having a similar background. And I'm curious, like specifically with your, your brothers and sisters growing up in sort of a larger family, how do you think that's impacted you? I know you've talked about, and I was experienced it firsthand, the tightness of your family. How do you think uh, growing up in that environment has impacted the person you are? Oh my gosh. Um, it's a huge part of my identity. Um, I think you grow up with teammates all the time. Like you grow up with people that are challenging you, um, pushing you, and then also just your number one cheerleaders. Right. So we were always going to each other's games and knew everybody on their teams and just kind of always had a pulse on what was going on in each other's lives. And so I think we just 
naturally formed like our little team, you know? Um, And I think that just, that's actually a really big part of me growing up that I was always just loved that team aspect, the community aspect of, of living, I guess, (laughs) you know, like always surrounded myself with just awesome, uplifting people. And I think that's a really big part of that was growing up with just such a rad family. So yeah, wow, cool. So let's talk about team sports too, because this is totally a place where you and I overlap or where our experiences have been very similar and talking about that team environment. For me, that was always the attractiveness of sport. That's why I never really got into you know, sort of the more individual sports. I know like track and cross country is still sort of a team thing, but it still feels like an individual pursuit where for me, when I played lacrosse growing up, it was such a feeling of tightness and camaraderie, but it also helped me develop the love of going to practice every day and just like honing my craft. And that is so translated to my life as a runner, just having that habit every day of just going out getting a sweat in and working towards some eventual goal off in the future. Yeah, I'm I curious. Think it becomes intrinsic. You know, you yeah. don't need the motivation anymore. It's like your whole team is pushing you to be better. And yeah. you know, that's part of the, <laughs> I love the, um, you know, having women that are super strong on the start line, like it gets me so fired up because yeah. I know it brings out a better me. I almost feel like they're my teammates out there, you know, like when we're running, it's like, we're all on the same team trying to all beat the guys. Like really. (laughs) Yeah. Let's be real. You know, it's just cool. And you guys did at Western States. It was a big, big team of women just absolutely smashing the dudes this year. It was so cool to watch. Yeah. So So how do you think, how do you think your, your sort of sporting background more on the team sports side of things has influenced your career as a runner? I mean, I think because I started so late, I feel like it's just the beginning, which is really exciting. Um, Like there's not even any ounce of burnout in me, you know, like I feel like I'm just so engaged and excited and, um, you know, I think I'm coming through the sport through a different lens also because I'm, you know, older, right? Like I'm in my mid thirties. I have two kids. I have a career that I love. It's like a very different perspective than Mm -hmm. a lot of people that, you know, take this on, you know, in the elite level and the professional level that have been running their whole entire lives and, you know, can maybe come through it through a different lens. Um, like if I didn't have a coach, I would have no clue (laughs) what I'm doing. So, you know, I think for me, I, there's a, there's a big perspective in that regards where I like, feel like the sporting background gave me the, um, the motivation, that intrinsic drive of just love of sport. Mm -hmm. I'm just a huge fan of sport. Um, but now it's like this extra kind of, I guess perspective is the right word, but like a gratitude or like a, like a reflection on like, I'm choosing to do this as an adult that I'm using all of my free time to do this, you know? Um, and Yeah. So I think, I think it's a, it's definitely hand in hand. Like I, I, growing up doing sports was a really big part of my journey for sure. Yeah. Which makes it easy to continue that habit later on in life. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't imagine, uh, yeah. What, what life would be like without sort of the, the sporting outlet and just the discipline that comes from the daily grind, the daily training. And I think it's just such a valuable thing for, 
people to experience over the course of their lives and people find it in other things too, you know, music and writing and, you know, millions of other habits. But I think just the, the thread through my life has always been sport and it always sort of created great relationships and made me a better person at the same time. And now neither one of us ever thought we would be professional runners. And, and here we are chatting on a running podcast. It's crazy, right? It's so very crazy. <laughs> you you yeah. said before that you initially started running as an outlet when you were working in the overnight shift at the LA County Hospital. I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about that. I'm sure it was a somewhat hectic shift to be working at that particular hospital. Talk about that and how it sort of made you feel like you needed to have that pressure release valve of running. Yeah, I definitely experienced the underbelly of Los Angeles. Um, I, there was a lot of trauma, a lot of rape, a lot of gunshot wounds and stabbings and horrible, horrible, horrible things. And you know, I couldn't go from that to just go home and sleep. <laughs> like that was not, the nightmares were too scary. And I just was so amped. So for me, it was like, I need to get outside and be a normal human and really feel like the wind on my face, the sun on my skin and feel like this primal need of being outside, you know? And, um, at that time I was running on road because I didn't really know about trail. And so I think, you know, like many trail runners, they start running on road, you know, and how do, yeah. So anyways, I'm really passionate about that. How do we bring like bridge that gap? But, um, anyways, I, so that's when I started. Um, I, I now I actually, after that, I, because it was so traumatizing in so many ways, I worked there in the ER overnight shift for, um, three years. And then I went back to school at UCLA to become a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. So, um, I wanted to focus on the preventative side of medicine and to how, um, to help prevent people from going to the emergency room in the first place. Um, so that was, um, a really big move for me. And from there, I started working at a clinic that works with underserved vulnerable safety net populations and a lot of addiction, homelessness, um, mostly Spanish speaking patients, um, and just fell in love. I mean, that is my passion for sure. Wow. And really a vocation. And, um, so, you know, like I've never struggled with addiction or paying rent or putting food on the table for my kids. And so for me, it's like this privilege to be able to run <laughs> at all. Um, and I feel like being able to compete is just an extra icing on the cake. You know, um, it's like a pretty privileged life. I feel that way. And I don't yeah. take that for granted at all. Um, so I feel like I have that perspective and, um, you know, I, yeah, I just, I think a lot of people think of running as easy. Like you just put on a pair of shoes and go out the door, like, come on, everybody should do it. Just do it. And it's like, that's not the way it works. Running shoes are expensive and yeah. having a safe neighborhood is not uh, for is definitely not everywhere. Um, and it's just having access to trails, you know, most bus stops don't take you to the trail, let alone, you know, your three jobs you're working, you know, to have time to go run on trail. So I just, I have like all this perspective built up in me of like, wow, if yeah. I have the opportunity to run and run competitively and get paid to run, like, and travel the world to run, like, I feel like I need to do this. This is yes. like an obligation within myself of like, 
you know, this is a yes moment and so many people don't. And if I can bring some awareness to that, um, awesome. Let's do that. <laughs> so, uh, beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think some of that perspective is probably the reason why you seem to have such a great attitude all the time. And it's really well said. And I think what well, now you live in Mammoth Lakes, California, if I'm not mistaken, working as a nurse practitioner. So maybe bring people up to speed about, yeah, where you live, what your personal life is like up there in the beautiful oh, Eastern Sierra. And, and, and so also more, change. most importantly, like how, how you make it all work, you know, as a, yeah. as a mom, as a nurse practitioner, and as a sort of a late blooming professional athlete, it's kind of a, an interesting trifecta of responsibilities you have in your life. Yeah. And I think a lot of us do, right? I mean, we all have a lot of things we're working on, lots of projects and many parents out there trying to compete is just so hard. I mean, just <laughs> it's a lot, you know, being a parent doing this is like a whole nother level, you know? And I think Respect. I will say when you were talking about like how you need sport in your life, it's like, yeah. as a parent, I'm like, how do people do this? Without, like, how do they just not get away. I don't yeah. know. Insane. I mean, my kids are amazing. I have four-year-old and a six-year-old. They're the freaking <laughs> awesome, like badass kids. I adore my children um, through and through. And they're definitely my number one cheerleaders. But that being said, I need some alone time. Like I need to like get out and <laughs> breathe a little bit. Totally. Um, yeah. So anyways, however your release is like parents need to get out. And I just have so much respect for all parents that are trying to do this. Cause it's really mm -hmm. hard. So I just want to give a shout out to parents, but, um, anyways, so this year has been quite the whirlwind, um, starting with Bandera. I, of course, went into the race wanting the golden ticket. And after I got the golden ticket was like, Oh my, Oh my God, I'm running Western States, you know? Yes. So it was like this, like everything, it was almost like the cosmos were pushing me in a certain direction. And I was like, all right, we're just going to go with it. You know, I'm definitely a yes person. And, um, it's almost like I've set up my whole life to be able to be in that position that I could say yes to that. And, um, my husband is, um, like a hundred and thousand percent behind me and like super, super excited about this journey that we're on. And, um, it's definitely a journey we're on together. Um, but so after I won Bandera, then it became very clear that we should probably make the decision to move to Mammoth, um, permanently because, um, I wanted to be in the mountains for, for training well, purposes. Training. I mean, wow. honestly, it was, it was altitude training. So we, so backtrack, we've owned a place here since 2017. So okay. we've had our condo here. So we've been coming up once or twice a month for years. I mean, the kids think of this as the mountain house. This is okay. like, yeah. they, this was an easy, easy transition for our family. Um, but to quit my job that, like I just mentioned, I love, um, it was a dream job for me and, um, to quit that job was really hard. I mean, there's a lot of tears shed, you know, like, what yeah. am I doing? Dude, so, I just quit my job too. Oh it's my so God. Hard. Oh yeah. my God. So are you practicing anymore? I am practicing and, and we can get to that. So okay. I'm practicing right now as a more of a telemedicine role, but it's really amazing because it's for underserved patients. So still mostly in Spanish and um, I'm still able to work with a lot of patients that are homeless and struggling with addiction. And it's been a really, really fulfilling role. And I feel like I really miss in, you know, clinic work and that will come, but right now I'm trying we're in a, just a little transition right now, trying to figure out what the next steps are. Um, but, you know, we moved to Mammoth in this sense of like, 
let's do this. Let's like, do let's go it. All yeah. in. Yeah. I feel like so many people during COVID had the same sort of reaction to the changes of the world. I mean, it just gave us all an opportunity to reflect on exactly where we were in life, the direction that we were heading and to course correct if we felt like we weren't necessarily going in the right direction. And for both of us, I feel like we had similar feelings of like, wait, this is my chance to do something new and different. And if it doesn't work out, you know, we took, we took a swing, we missed and, you know, we'll, we'll figure things out. We'll course correct again. Totally. And I'm very aware that that is a absolute privilege. Yeah, sure. That is a mostly white privilege thing that I am like an educated person with all of this with um, the mountain house and mammoth legs yeah. mentors I have a house in mammoth legs I have a house in LA like who am I like this overwhelming sense of like what is happening in my life what did I do in my past life like there's a, there's a lot of that you know mm-hmm. um but I'm like I gotta roll with it or run with it literally yeah um so but anyways and and I think Dylan I really respect your um take on the professionalism of the sport, because that really excites me a lot because I feel like we haven't talked about how I've signed Bissaucony, but most of my teammates are road athletes. Yeah. I mean, there's Grayson Murphy who, um, kind of crossover. You know, yeah. yeah I do want to talk about this. I do yeah, want to talk so about it's this. Really, that for me is really an exciting part of this new journey for me because it was not something I knew anything about in the sport. And, you know, I was just like, let's go frolic in mountains with your friends and like adventure. And now I'm in such a different, um, you know, I feel, I don't want to say take it more seriously. Cause I, I feel like I take life less seriously right now, but it's just this sense of like, like a professional approach to running that is different. Just if you're going to do it, let's do it right. Let's do it and give Mm -hmm. the sport the respect it needs, you know? And I do feel like potential grows in this space you leave for it. You know, if you give yourself that space to be able to be your best self, it it does take time. And, but it's like, you don't really know what's going to happen or how good you could be unless you really gave it your all. Um, so I didn't wow. want to take this opportunity. You know, I'm really lucky to have signed the Saucony. I mean, really yeah. that they believe in me and that, you know, I think, but I mean, I get a salary. I get, you know, this is, it gets a, it's a professional game. Yeah. Right? Like this is a really incredible role. And I'm a part of the research development or the development of the product, I should say. All the time. I mean, I have weekly calls. Let's let's talk about talking in a sec because I actually am really yeah. interested in this. But yeah. before we do, I think it's important to sort of keep going with. I mean, I love what you just said about approaching it and giving it the respect that it deserves because it really is the greatest, most beautiful sport in the history of the world. And I feel like with your attitude, sort of sky's the limit, and you totally do represent all that is good with the sport and that we hope to push forward and bring into this, this next generation as we quote unquote professionalize. Um, but I'm also curious too, we've been talking about sort of our privilege mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm interested because you said now with your new telemedicine gig, mm-hmm. it focuses more on underprivileged people, mm-hmm. mostly Spanish speaking people who probably um, don't necessarily have the same privileges that we do, often homeless folks. What, what motivated you to 
sort of pursue that as the realm of medicine that you are interested in and, and sort of what value and learnings has it brought into your life? I think, I mean, my mom is also a nurse practitioner and she's worked with foster youth her whole career. My dad is a math teacher for Oxnard High School, or he was, he recently retired, um, but, you know, kind of in more of an underserved area also and um, in the public school there. So I, I just feel like it was, hmm, I, I think my parents did a really good job of talking about social justice, about, you know, thinking farm workers when we ate our vegetables. Like, I just feel like it was just kind of in the vernaculum of what, like uh, in my family life. And then I went to a school, um, like I went to a Jesuit school, Loyola Chicago, and there was a big focus on social justice and, you know, like our responsibility to take care of each other and this other humans Um, that we're all in this together and we need each other. And um, not in a weird, like patronizing way, like in a, like we're all on the same team and we all have different strengths. And I feel like I've been really pushed in that direction of follow what you're good at, you know? Mm. And I feel like what I I feel like in that um, in that sense, I am very good at, um, I guess, listening is a big part. I'm like I have a lot of empathy and I feel through my experiences, I've done a lot of work abroad. I, you know, my uncle lives, he's actually a priest in South Central LA. And I, you know, spent time there working there. It's just, it's like kind of ingrained in my family in that way, where I feel like there's a lot of, um, just kind of the, the role of, of what we're supposed, we're supposed to serve. And I feel like that's a really, like pivotal part or important part for me um, of my daily life. So it's not just like a hobby. It's like really primal. And I feel like there's a part of that in all of us, you know, like you drink pillars, you're serving the ultra community or the trail community in this way. And you're trying to uplift others to be their full potential. And I, and I feel like in medicine, I'm trying to do that in, in a different angle. But um, so I guess that's, It's beautiful. Wow. No, Katie, that is fantastic. And I read a book recently that talked about just the importance of leading a life of service and about how that's really where deep personal satisfaction and contentment and happiness comes from is when you feel like you're being of service and being a contributing member of a civilization. And yeah, it's something that is stuck with me all year this year is like, okay, how let's, let's figure out how to be of service. Obviously we need to like make a living and, uh, sort of pay our own bills, but like, let's figure out how you can be of service. And and when I'm starting to think on the more selfish side of things, trying to remind myself about the importance of service, because ultimately that's, what's going to sort of make me feel better about myself. So beautiful, beautiful Katie. Wow. (laughs) So let's talk about running a little bit (laughs) because we haven't much. I want to spend most of our time talking about Western States and, and ultra trail Harakana, which you just did. And also want to talk about the future, but before we get to it, sort of want to spend a few minutes on the early part of your career. As I said, you sort of landed on my radar at Western States, but that certainly wasn't your first exposure or experience racing ultra marathons or even hundred milers. But I'm wondering because you have been successful since day one, and you've been super consistent in this early part of your career, what you attribute that to, or if there's any sort of like key moments of learning in the early part of your career that you think has helped you with this 
early bit of success and consistency that you've had? I mean, it's funny. I feel like I'm still in the very early part of my career. I mean, my first ultra was in 2015. I had given birth that earlier that year. And um, so I went into that run going like, I don't know if I can run a 50K, but I just am so excited to be on my own in the mountains. And, you know, it was great. I mean, I won it. It felt amazing. And then I was like, great, I'm going to go for a golden ticket. I had no idea what I was doing. And the next day went out and just like hammered it, destroyed my T-band and just couldn't walk for two weeks, you know? (laughs) So I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, I think it's funny, Dell. I remember how we were talking about how we've, we've understood now the, the, the true number one pillar is chillness, right? That's right. Calm and chill. Like that is something I'm definitely still working on. Um, because I'm just so stoked. I think that that's a part of the (laughs) challenge a little bit. Like I need to like calm down out there. Like I'm just so like just pumped to be out there, um, that I think I need to save some energy for the legs, you know? Um, anyway, so I think I've learned a lot every step of the, the way. I mean, like anybody running ultras, you learn so much every race and that's what makes it fun too. It's like the, the puzzle, pieces almost get more and more intricate and complex. But but why have you been so successful? Like you haven't really Um, had any issues. Is it the fact that you came into it with this competitive experience, obviously as being a lifelong athlete, maybe a little bit more maturity as somebody who has a career and a family and sort of professional and, you know, motherly obligations in life. What has helped you to be consistent? Because I feel like this is the mark of really great athletes as people. And I think it is also an exhibition sometimes of our personal state, like our emotional state, psychological state is like people who are steady and consistent, mm-hmm. who don't, mm-hmm. even though you say you're stoked, like, you know, do you feel that, I, I'm just curious what, what you think has helped you to, you ran your first ultra in 2015 and you sort of had this big exclamation point at Western States, but in between 2015 and 2021, you had a bunch of really solid races and not many bad ones. So I'm curious uh, to what you attribute that to. I think I don't race that much. I think that's a big part of it. I think it started really slow in the sense of like my first trail race was a 13 miler and then I went to a 50 K and then I did the 50 miler and then I did, you know, hundred miles. So like I like gradually increased. And, and while I was doing that, I was like a total sponge. You know, I feel like I have just as much respect for elite athletes as I do the back of Packers and they're all my friends. And we're like, I've gleaned so much from that. And I feel like that's a big part of this sport is understanding the sport, <laughs> like trying to like the mindset behind it and really kind of tips and tricks of the trade. And, um, so I think going into the sport, very humble and, um, just like taking it slowly, I think has been a big part of it. I think, I mean, you know, I have to say I'm like, really into food. <laughs> I think that's also a big part of it. Like I feel really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I always feel more than anybody that's on the trail with me on a training run. Um, because I think that's like a big part of my success is just making sure I'm like always full. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that's a part of it. I would say, um, having a community of people that I surround myself with that are really into it. 
um, has been really, really, really helpful. My husband being backed, backing me a hundred percent, you know, my mom who watches the kids when we go out and do this crazy sport, I just feel like I have a really great, incredible village around me. And I think that when you're want to do this sport successfully, you have to surround yourself with like-minded people and surround yourself with the village. That's going to help you along the way when things are tough. Um, I think having a coach is extraordinarily helpful. I mean, I don't know where I'd be without David Roach, to be honest, in the sense of in a competitive way. So that, that the mindset of really believing in yourself is something he really helped me with of, you know, what are your goals? And it was like, I want a podium in Western States. And it was like, all right, you know? So, I mean, that was to be able to say that in 2018, you know, is like, it was like a slow build. And I, I don't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't jump into it going like thinking that I could get the world quickly. It was like, yeah. I'm not a visitor to the sport and I'm very mindful of this is a process and I'm loving the process and the journey of it and not trying to just get to one thing um, and then be done, you know, like yeah. I'm a lifer here. So I think you're stuck with me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Another, yeah, just beautiful answer. And I do want to talk about yours and David's relationship here in a bit once we sort of come around to actually talking about the race itself. But that's awesome <laughs> that in 2018, you vocalized that goal this year. You, you missed the podium, but certainly had an incredible race. And uh, sometimes, you know, we have to to miss ever so slightly before the goal. God, it makes you even more hungry. I didn't yeah. know I was even, could be more hungry. Yeah. In fact, like, I finished fifth in 20, what was it? 2013 at Western States and then came back and finished third the next year. So, so maybe uh, it, because we're so similar in so many different ways. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can, you'll be there. Or maybe, maybe you'll have a cougar to show for it, which I don't have, unfortunately, but. Maybe um, someday. So, but I'm so sure before that. we kind of come around to, to Western States, obviously we've already talked about the fact that you won Bandera back in January of 2020 that's where you secured your golden ticket. And we now know that you've had this long-term goal to be in Western States. So obviously there was no reluctance to accept the golden ticket, but I'm curious having won that race. I mean, that's kind of a pivotal moment in an athlete's career is to win a golden ticket race. Like that means that you have the privilege of racing one of the world's most important events, the Western States 100, but it also proves that you are competitive on the national and and potentially even international level. And I'm curious if you went into that race sort of like feeling that a victory was, was achievable. And I guess more importantly, sort of like how did the win impact your psychology or your feeling about what was possible at Western States? So I signed up for Bandera the June prior, so June 2020. And at the time was like, oh, COVID will be gone by then. The middle of COVID. I'm like, is the middle of COVID. I needed something to look forward to. And honestly, I mean, I was in the clinic, right? Like it was total mayhem, horrible, as we all know. Um, You know, seeing patients. Yeah, it was really hard and horrible. I had lots of really, really, really terrible experiences during COVID. Um, Patients dying in ICU. It was just really bad. So. I had a horrible, horrible 2020, um, though I did run I am tough, which was extraordinary. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation, but I gave up my, like 
I kind of disengaged from even running Bandera at all. We were in the middle of a surge in LA County. It was, I told Pete, like in November, I was like, kind of giggled, like I'm only doing Bandera if I get both my vaccines in time, right? Yeah. Like there's no possible way. And of course the race is going to be canceled. It's, you know, whatever. And Pete's like, I don't know, it's Texas. It's you Texas. Know, like, <laughs> it might actually happen. And it was like, no possible way. And this was before Christmas. Like, I mean, come on, you know, and then everything surged again over the holidays. And then this is right in the beginning of January. Like, there's no way I'm going to this race. Well, somehow it was like total... I'm telling you, I felt like the cosmos were like telling me to go in this direction because I was able to get both vaccines. I'm a family nurse practitioner and a high risk, you know, clinic. And I was able to get both vaccines in time and I flew to Bandera. So honestly, I showed up on that. I towed the line just stoked. I mean, I didn't even care. I was just excited to race because I was trained to race. It was either that or go for the backbone FKT. And I was like, Another thing they have in common. Yes, you should um, do that. <laughs> yeah. So I was so pumped to tell the line. I really didn't know anything about the course except it was two loops. And I knew Emily Hoggard was running it because we had run at I Am Tough together. And um, so I knew of her, but really I didn't really know anybody else out there. And um, David, my coach, reached out to another runner um, that was going to be running at another swap athlete who ended up winning the race, Ryan Miller. Yeah. And Ryan Miller calls me the night before and was like trying to scramble a team to crew for me. And I'm like, Ryan, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, you Oh, so you traveled great. totally solo. Totally Sounds solo. Crew. Wow. Didn't know a soul, not one's human. Wow. And I show up and I had two pacers I never met. Right. Um, one of which actually ended up pacing at Western stage, which is so rad. Cool. Um, and who's also going for Courtney Rouse. She's going for a golden ticket at Bandera this year, which is cool. Um, so you're going to return the I favor. You're going to go pace her. I, <laughs> I can't make promises. But, um, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very, um, like, I'm just like throwing this together, you know, like I'm going to go for it because why not? Yeah. And I mean, I broke my nose. That was a bummer. All right. Yes. (laughs) Um, But I still won. And that was like, I was still pinching myself. Like I couldn't believe it. And like I got a really good time. It was just really cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so how did that impact the feeling of what your goals were going to be at Western States and how you belonged within that field? Um, um, I need to make sure I'm saying this right. When I won at Bandera, I felt I don't want to say, I don't want to say still more in the tank, but I feel like when I, for instance, and other races, I've gone deeper than I had at Bandera. So I felt like when I ran Bandera, I was like, oh, like, I think I got one of the fourth or fifth best times ever at that race. And I was like, man, like I, I still feel like you could have gone faster. And and I feel like that, that feeling of like, I think I really can compete on this like bigger stage. And so that's when the the confidence started to really build. And of course, David Roach is like, you're the yeah. best in the world. Like he does every song, <laughs> um, you know, and, but you start really believing in it. And I yes. think, you know, I think that was an exciting time because it is so mental. And I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was feeling really confident. Like I really wanted to podium at Western States and, you know, looking back at, you know, McDonald Forest 50K, I ran in May. It was my first race as a signed athlete. And it was hands down the best race I've ever done for sure. Yeah. 
like the most athletic race. I mean, 90 seconds behind Ian Sharman for the win was like amazing for me to be running with in that sort of field. And so that gave me confidence. So I think racing and doing well in an elite field was really exciting leading up to Western States. And then, um, I moved to Mammoth and as you can imagine, as you know, running altitude, like (laughs) kicks you and you're like oh man <laughs> so like, maybe i'm not a good athlete like, yeah yeah you're, you're like ten thousand feet it's like, why yeah. is this so hard this is so hard like maybe i'm maybe i'm not fit anymore that's so cool uh-huh. no i mean yeah. really really well said about yeah all the the feelings of yeah validation and feeling like man i can do this i do belong maybe i did have a little bit more in the tank well here's how i stack up against times from the past like mm-hmm. going into western states feeling like you know, maybe something special could happen today. So I want to talk about the David Roche thing also, because I think this is really important, but before we do, let's touch on Saucony because this happened right after Bandera, right? So you officially received the support, signed a contract to make you a real professional athlete to get the support of a major footwear and apparel brand in Saucony, could you just talk about how that came together? I'm curious also because Saucony is not necessarily big in the trail space, right? So how did those conversations come about? And um, yeah, like maybe how, how your relationship has been with them so far in this uh, partnership. So I was very proactive about reaching out to companies after Bandera. So um a little bit in my mind, I was like, I wonder if people are going to reach out to me and nobody reaches out to you. Um, it's like <laughs> everybody, I mean, I shouldn't say, I think I, I think a couple, but for the most part, it was me reaching out to people going, hi, I'm going to be running at the world stage. I'm going to go for a podium placement. I want to represent your brand sort of thing. Yeah. Very like, you know, throwing it out there. Well, Saucony, I have a special relationship with because I read an article in Runner's World um, a couple of years ago, and it was about dirt power. And I remember, and I saved the article because I was like, this is so cool. This company is so cool. And nobody, not nobody, but like a lot of my friends weren't running in Saucony. And I just thought their idea of being on trails makes you stronger, like the transformative um power of running on trails and like getting dirty and like the strong, um, women that are running the trails, the entire trail department is just so rad. And the whole company is run by a woman and it's just like very woman based. Yeah. So their CEO is a woman. Um, it's just very family oriented in the sense that people have been there for 20, 30 years. I mean, the Saucony's was actually started in 1898. So this is a really established brand. Now, that being said, people only hear about Peregrine, right? It's like there's one trail shoe and there's actually a lot more, but people don't know about it. And so yeah. I think that they're really trying to work on their trail strategy. And it's been really exciting for me. And when we talked about the professionalism part of it, it's more for me than just running. I get to, I mean, I have one-on-one calls with the CMO, the chief marketing officer, yeah. like for the whole company, you know? Yeah. Like, that's really rad. I'm like that's a part great. of the development, you know? So I get to be a, know what's in the pipeline. I'm, I'm very, um, so that, that the business side of it has been a part of the sport I knew nothing about. And so 
I'm learning a lot. I didn't know how to late, how to name things on the shoe. Like, what's that called? And they're like an outsole. Katie. <laughs> That's you the know? outsole. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, like I have no idea. I'm not a total shoe nerd. Well, now yeah, I the, the rubber part, the rubber part, the rubber, like this part, like I need more grip or less grip or whatever, you know? So um, are they, do you feel that they're serious about the sport of trail running? Cause I feel like this is uh, an inflection point in the history of our sport and the arc of our sport, right? It started out as, an outdoor brand type of activity, right? For brands like Solomon and the North Face and Montreal back in the day, we saw Nike come into the space. Now we see Adidas making a big move. I've heard that Brooks is, uh, their plans are that they're going to spend as much money on trail running as they are road running. And so I feel like, as you and I have talked about a little bit in our conversation today, this is a moment for our sport. I'm curious if you can share anything about what Saucony's vision is uh, as they approach the sport themselves with your help. Right. And I mean, I think that's a big part of it is they want the athlete involvement. So, I mean, I just had a call. I don't know if I can talk about this, I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so today's, so yesterday, it was yesterday, I had a talk with the head of trail, the head of product of trail, the CMO of the entire company and Grayson and I, and that's it. And wow. we're sitting there talking about the three to five year trail strategy for Saucony, you know? And so then we are going to have like these weekly calls, like continuing. So it's, it's like, this is so exciting. The energy that they're putting into the future of trail. So for me, I'm just excited about what's in the pipeline also, right? Like, I just think the product is incredible, but, um, that I just love that the, that the, the energy towards trail is changing, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is because people are buying more trail shoes, right? Yeah. So they're seeing that it's not like they're just like trails and they're realizing that the mountains <laughs> are awesome. It's oh, like, this is a cool thing. No, it's like, right? actually this like, could make a difference for our bottom line. Yeah. But that's totally. great. Like yeah, it's, we're awesome. making a difference. Yeah. Yes. And same with sustainability, right? Like we want that as consumers, right? We want products that are not bad for the environment. Yeah. You know, we want to partner with organizations that are doing good for the world, right? Yeah. So it's just like a, it's, I think it's exciting time. I think we are, you know, like Saucony has this whole run for good campaign and they give millions of dollars to fight childhood obesity and community clinics. That's cool, right? Yeah. Like, so it's things that I can stand behind more than just the product itself, which is unreal. But it's like the whole, I think that that's a big part of the consumerism. It's not just the product, it's what's behind the product also, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways, I'm- Yeah, very I'm cool. Into it. <laughs> very cool. And it's, yeah, it's so it's cool, cool. That, that you and Grayson can have a real personal relationship and a real likely measurable impact on this category and be part of what will hopefully be a successful investment on their behalf. So anyway, let's move and talk to talk about David Roche and the self-belief thing, because I think this is really important. I remember when you did the interview with Billy Yang, just after Western States, you were talking about sort of the self-belief aspect and coming to the start line. Like, yes, I like, I do want to compete. I'm wondering if you can kind of share about what your relationship is with yourself in that respect? Like, is the belief in yourself something that, that comes easily to you? Is there somebody uh, that sort of has helped you to understand the importance of self-belief? And, and then obviously everybody knows David Roche is somebody who has, it seems seemingly infinite love and care for the athletes that he coaches and instills this belief 
the self-belief philosophy in, in each and every one of the people who, who work with him. So maybe just talk about the overarching theme of self-belief as it relates to you personally and your relationship with your coach. Sure. I think there's maybe a little bit of irrational confidence (laughs) or maybe I should say, I think David Roach has this idea of really pushing the boundaries of um, like the human psyche of like, we are impermanent, you know, that sort of thing. Like it's, we aren't going to last forever. So this whole, like one of his things he says in every email before a race is like, you're stardust with delusions of grandeur, right? (laughs) And the reason he says it- You posted this on your Instagram yesterday. I love it. It's so good. It's so ridiculous. He's such a good writer, but it's like this idea that like, why the heck not? Go for it. Like, just try. I mean, if you don't try, you're not going to do anything with your life, you know? So I- it's not like this idea of the self-belief is, um, I guess it is a little, maybe a little irrational, but in the sense of like, why not? I'm going to throw myself out there. And I realize too, that I can do more than I think I can, you know, yeah. like, and I think all of us can, if we really do things that we love. Right. So if you push yourself in a, in a way that you like towards in life, you're like, I'm just going to go with this because I'm really good at it. And I'm going to see how far I can go. Um, it's like, well, why not? Like, maybe we have more than one life, but like, yeah. I think we have only one. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> but we might as well like live it, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a part of what his whole concept is, you know, is this idea of just like, it's all about the stories. It's all about like having like live big, you yes. know? And I think that's exciting and fun and fulfilling. And, um, like, why not go for it again, a privileged perspective. Right. But if I do, if I am able to go for it, that's how I feel. Very well said. So, so cool. So while we're on the subject of your coach, we might as well talk about your training a little bit too. I went back and looked at your Strava before Western States. Do you post everything that you do on Strava? Okay. Okay. I was curious because, well, maybe you could just give us a glimpse into your training because when I looked at it, I was like, wow, she's getting by on some, some lower volume training. And I know that David is also very long-term focused with his athletes to make sure that they can perform really well, but also perform well over time. So maybe just talk about your guys's training, maybe specifically as it relates to Western States, because I do want to sort of move towards that subject here sooner yeah. rather than so later. Let's talk Western States. Um, so um, remember training before Western States, I'm working full-time at a clinic. I have two young children. I'm kind of not in survival, but like kind of scraping by training, right? Like most of us. Um, so as May 8th, when I quit my job, it was like, all right, I'm going to go all in and give this race the, des- the respect it deserves. And really, um, I don't know, give it my all. Why not? If I can. So I, I did. And I think, you know, I think doubles like doing treadmill work, um, is helpful. I think focusing on strength is really huge. I also think I've never had a real true, like legit base. Does that make sense? In the sense of like a build, I should Mm. say, because it's all been just like trying to scrape by or coach P 
Pete has a six hour bike ride. So can I do it this day? Like, it's just always like kind of trying to scramble it together. And finally, now I feel like I have a bit of space where I can say, okay, my training is the priority. I can really focus on it. So really pre-Western States um, was, you know, really starting in May was really the build. And honestly, it was because I was in altitude after McDonald forest, it wasn't that fantastic. And then I did Western States training camp, which was awesome. Um, and then I had a little niggle, um, in my ankle, I remember. And so we kind of tapered a little earlier than usual, but, um, so, you know, it wasn't a perfect build. And so I'm, I will say that I'm hoping for this year that I have a better build. Um, but no, I don't post everything on Strava though. I do have very low mileage, I think compared to my peers. And I think that comes with just being a mom and the stress of that. And also I think that will change this year also. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Let's talk about Western States. Finally. I feel like we've, I mean, we're, we're flowing great and I'm having such a great time talking, talking to you, but um, yeah, we, we need to talk about Western States eventually. So let's do that now. Um, I want to start with, again, listening to your interview with Billy Yang after the race. One of the things that you said was that you had this sense of calm and gratitude on the start line. And I just think this is a really important thing to emphasize that I want you to expand on. So normally before a race, um, I think this is a common feeling that you're quite nervous. It's hard to sleep. You wake up kind of jittery, uh, you know, you're kind of a little unfocused, like trying to put everything together. Did I remember everything looking at your checklist? Right. I mean, this is how it's been every race through my whole running career. And somehow I woke up, I slept great before Western States. I wrote thank you notes to all of my crew and pacers. And I mean, I felt so organized. I was so calm. It was strange. Pete and I got there early. So the crew, of course, as you know, we had two different crews. And so they took off early to get to the aid stations, but Pete was there at the beginning to drop me off. And, um, we hung out, um, inside in like a corner it was like magda and i and we're just like chilling you know like feeling super calm i was doing some leg swings like there was no high i was like i just need to be out of the crazy hype like i need to just stay calm because i'm really chill right now and i want to keep it that way and i think it was strange it's so indicative i I think that you're ready i was ready Yeah. yeah i felt fresh i felt I don't know. I felt like I was supposed to be there. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly how I felt before hard rock too. I was just calm and happy and just ready to go through what I knew it was going to take. And similarly, I just had Courtney DeWalter on the podcast and she said she felt that way before UTMB. It wasn't that she wanted to avenge her DNF from hard rock. It wasn't that she wanted to defend her championship and outperform her 2019 performance at UTMB. She was just happy to be there. She was calm and OMG, what can happen when, when you have that calmness and that sense of gratitude, it's, uh, yeah, we're not a 400 meter sprint here. I mean, like, I feel like if you go into the day, just kind of open heart, you know, that sounds so cliche, but just this idea of like, I'm going to soak all of this in. I mean, when I saw Craig Thornley, the RD for the race director for Western States on the course, I was like, I'm running Western States, you know, just like so stoked and just kind of pinch me moments. But 
also feeling like I was supposed to be there and yeah. like, I'm ready to compete and I want to be a part of this, you know? Um, yes. yeah, I was feeling really calm. Yeah. Awesome. So the race itself, you obviously started with a sense of calm and joy and you had belief in your own abilities. Talk a little bit about the early part of the race, because eventually if I remember this correctly, eventually you made your way into third place. And this is when all of us, you know, on the live stream, we're like, man, who's Katie Asmith? We're all looking up your results, sort of informing ourselves at the same time as we're informing the audience about what you've done so far in your career. And there was also the reports coming in from the chorus that, you know, Katie Asmith, it just has this enthusiasm. And so I guess I'm curious about, as you made your way into like podium contention at Western States, which as we've already mentioned, has been a long-term goal of yours. What was going through your, your mind there as you were sort of running through the field and passing a lot of women who were more experienced in general, but also at this specific race, what would take us inside uh, that sort of early to middle section of uh, the race experience for you? So the early section, um, I'd never been in the high country because I had only been on Western States, the training camp. So that was really remarkable for me and just kept it really chill, chatting it up with the other girls. There was a lot of um, females, I should say, not girls, women that <laughs> are so strong that I've looked up to for so long. And I it was so awesome to just be running with them. And it was fun. It's like you kind of forget you're even running Western States when you're in that high country part because we were just like having a good time. And then um, I, yeah, I guess I slowly started feeling really good. I mean, like, was like, all right, I, mean, I should probably start racing. I think I felt that a little bit too early. <laughs> I, I have the, like, the we'll CR get to that. for we'll like get to that. a section of downhill where I should not have that CR. Like my friend told me that you ran that faster than Tim Tolson. And I'm like, Oh God. Oh, oh, no. God. You know? um, oh no. So that was probably, I, I just felt really good. So there's this part, you know, when you run hundred miles, you know, you're going to feel horrible. So when you're feeling good, you want to use it. So I was like, okay, I feel fantastic. I'm going to kill it right here because later I'm going to feel horrible. Well, I think I maybe shouldn't have been destroying my quads on that descent, um, you know, into the canyons as much as I did, but I felt good at the time. And I was like, I'm letting gravity, you know, take me, but whatever, my quads yeah. were shot by the end of the race. So that didn't work out. Yeah. So some strategy, uh, like will change there. But um, anyways, I passed Addie Bracey at that point in the canyons and we, I headed up to Michigan Bluff and I guess Ruth Croft was right behind me at that point. I was, I think maybe fifth or fourth or fifth at that point. Um, anyways, I head into Forest Hill and was just so amped. I yeah. don't know. It's like, there's this energy in you that you're like, I'm doing this and everybody, you know, it's is there. so hard not to be amped at Forest oh my Hill. Gosh. Isn't it? <laughs> I was just so stoked. You know, I mean, it felt like this is everything for this moment, you know, and my kids and my coach is running with me and he's like, this is how Claire felt, you know, 2019. It was like, you know, he's pumping me up like yeah. nobody else. And 
I actually I posted a picture of this on Instagram. Yes, that's um, that picture, which I look so funny in that hat, but I love the hat, the my little ice hat. Dude, you got to make that your trademark. That needs to be the brand. That needs to be the brand. I was thinking it would keep my shoulders wet, you know, like with that exposure. Yeah, it's brilliant. Like the you shouldn't make it black next year. Tell Saucony, don't make it black. Make it white I know, next our year. Our kids are going to be white next year. I'm yes. so excited. Like, yes. So, but um, so w- was it leaving Forest Hill that you were in? third place. So I was in third yeah, and then I actually was in second for a little bit, but nobody knows except me because it was in between aid stations, but I was running with Courtney Rouse, the one uh-huh. that paced me at Bandera. And she, I mean, we were so fired up, right? Yeah. So we what, were you Had you passed uh, Ragna. Ragna? Okay. Yeah. It yeah. was Ragna. So I passed her and I was like, I mentioned to her when I saw her up ahead, I told Courtney, I'm like, let's look strong, you know? (laughs) So you pass her and then I very quickly realized that I was sprinting and that was not sustainable. (laughs) Oops, I still have 35 miles to go. Yeah. Horrible idea. (laughs) This is like a horrible, horrible day. Everybody listening, do not do this. And I know better. We'll get to this, but this is learning. This is learning. But you're learning. And the course, that's what makes Western States so much fun is because it's such a tough course to really get right. You know, it's, I mean, totally a hundred percent for those who are listening, who haven't run the race yet. I mean, on paper and the finishing times are all super fast. Right. But it is such a hard race to figure out. Yeah. I think, I think next time I will be more measured at Forest Hill, like coming out of Forest Hill. Um, and I also think, um, that when you pass somebody at mile, you know, 70 to not take it so like to heart, because after I passed her, I was like, I'm feeling good. I'm going to pass her. And then like three miles later, she passed me again. And I was like, oh man, I can't keep up (laughs) with that. So I think that was like, Katie, you have so like everybody says the race starts at Forest Hill, but like, for me, I feel like I need to mentally prepare the race starts really at the river, yeah. you know, like you still need to be really strong after you cross the river. So um, I have to, I have to share a funny story from my own experience of Western States, because this is so perfect. You and I are just the same person basically, but in 2012, 2012 was my first Western States. Okay. You and I are the same age. So I did my first one nine years ago and on Cal street, the same section that you pass Ragna, I passed Dave Mackey. Okay. Legend, yes. legend of the game, Total legend Legend of the game. And one of my idols, one of my idols. And there's a section there that's called six minute Hill, right? So you, you're yeah. on the single track and the single track dumps you onto a fire road sort of as you're uh, working your way down to the river crossing. And I passed Dave Mackey with my pacer and it's sort of like right there at six minute Hill. So hot. It's so and, hot right there. Right. And I could tell Dave was annoyed because, you know, his pacer was like, Hey Dave, let's step aside because these guys are coming through. So Dave steps aside. I come through and then hit six minute Hill and I start 
hiking and Dave Mackey starts, you know, just comes and runs right past me again. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Good thing you passed me there. You know, like totally, totally. I'll always, always remember it. You know, it was absolutely like one of those moments where this veteran of the game and, and legend would just sort of like put a new overambitious youngster in, in his place. And then, you know, went on to, I think he beat me by quite a bit that year, but anyway, it's uh, it's funny. It's funny. The overlap. So yes, yes. I, I, sh- I mean, really, I have the experience. I should have known to not <laughs> push as hard as I did in that section, but it was so exciting to be second. I mean, Beth, I knew was out of reach, but to be second for a small amount of time was like, I'm second at Western States. Yes. Like, this is my reality. Like, okay. Yeah. My dreams are coming true. And then Ragna to pass me on an uphill where again, like you, I was yes. just power hiking. And I think <laughs> I was probably like weekly walking, but in my mind, I'm like power hiking. And yeah. she just like runs by me and I'm like, go Ragna, you know? <laughs> So Um, cool. So, I mean, so let's sort of talk about the learnings because obviously ultimately you finished fifth, which is an awesome performance debut Western States, though not perfect, right? Like, I feel like you had a glimpse of what it would have felt like to really absolutely nail your first one. It was a solid performance, though. I don't think you'd characterize it as like a perfect nailing type thing. And you and I have talked about this, but you faded near the end. Ultimately, not only Ragna, but Ruth and Brittany pass you later on in the race. Four incredible women, including Beth Pascal in front of you. Um, What did you learn from that fading experience late in Western States? And how do you plan on riding the ship ahead of 2022? Um, so Ruth and Brittany ended up passing me quite early, actually. So I was in fifth from Greengate on, Mm. so I didn't get passed again from Greengate on. So that was surprising to me, to be completely honest. Mm. I felt at that time I was really just holding on, like really just surviving. And I was like, there's no way I'm not getting passed right now. Um, so I was so hot that I was just trying to keep my heart rate down because I didn't want to totally implode. And, um, that was my number one goal was just stay the course, stay happy and just keep, keep like, keep fueling yourself and hydrating and just keep moving forward. So I was like, just don't stop. Um, I had no quads left. So I think, um, going for 2022, I think I'll increase my mileage. I have been very low mileage. Um, compared to everybody else. So I think I will increase my mileage because now I'm giving the space that I can, right? Which is really exciting. I also think I need to work on strength. I've never been a gym rat ever. Um, So that is something I'm taking more seriously. I need to be stronger. Um, I think I'm going to forever hold that vision of Ragna passing me (laughs) like while I'm training, just like, gosh, how did she have those legs uh, so deep in the race? So, you know, I think watching those performances, like you mentioned with Dave Mackey, it's like, it inspires you to, for your training. Uh, I think there's also uh, the heat management aspect of it will change. I think I will probably, 
uh, I think what happened is I, I was making sure I was dousing myself with ice water, but maybe forgetting to hydrate as much as I should have been. So I was so occupied with trying to stay cool that I think I wasn't hydrating as much. So I think those details I'll really dial in. Um, you know, I got a sweat test, so I understand my sodium content now and my salt. So I'm like trying to understand my body more and trying to take that part of training more seriously, or just like trying to understand it. And it's exciting to be honest, to be able to have this space to do that. And, uh, you know, yeah. So I think a lot will change this year. I'm really excited about that. I think to be honest, my why has changed, uh, which is interesting. Um, I think my why in ultra running has always been a personal growth you know, I've always, it's for me, it's that what we were talking about freedom, it's a sense of self and expression and getting outside and that primal love of, you know, exploring the outdoors on foot. But for me now, I have a different why in the sense that I feel like I have a bigger platform now in a weird way. It's like, not weird way. I think it's a human thing, but like, if you do well in whatever you're trying to do well at, (laughs) if you succeed and you're, killing it out there. People listen to you more. Yeah. Right. Like if I wasn't fifth, I wasn't sixth, I wouldn't be on this podcast. Right. So like, I think that that's a, it's a human thing, right? Like it's almost like what you say matters more to people, which is very mm. strange, but you know, I could be a horrible human and people wouldn't know it or something, but it's this idea that I feel like I have a bigger platform and I want to, that's a part of my why now, like I want to train harder because I want to inspire more moms to get out on the trails and more women in sport. And so for me, it's a deeper meaning in a way, like before it was just about my, like challenging myself to be my best self. And now it's about, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a different why in that way. I mean, it's, 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 I still have the other why also, but it's like, it's changing. So that's amazing. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) So cool. Thank you so much, Katie. That is really, really wonderful. So I I don't know, maybe we should just sort of keep on this theme. Obviously when you crossed the finish line, it was a pretty special thing. You had a huge group of friends and family there with you. Your kids were there. I remember interacting with your brother at the finish line and it seemed like, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, it's a really tight knit team that you have around you, your family, your kids, your husband. And, uh, I'm wondering, and you committed to 2022 at the finish line. I, I think I remember this correctly. I think you were talking to Craig Thornley before we did a quick little interview with you and said, like, I get to come back next year. <laughs> it's like nobody well, else it was wasn't saying my that. perfect day. We all want that perfect day <laughs> at Western States, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. You so, know, so it doesn't matter about... how I place. I want to, I want to give it my all, my best race, right? Yeah. And, you know, so. so. So how did, how did the result make you feel about, your position within the sport and your goals for 2022 at Western States is is the podium still the goal or is the, uh, is the Cougar trophy, the goal? I mean, come on. If you're going for podium, you're also going for Cougar, right? (laughs) I mean, let's be real. Let's be honest. Every, that's what's so crazy. When you look at the, you know, elite women that line up on the field the day before the race, right? It's like, they call all the elite women up I hate that word, not elite, but the, you know, the, the women that are going for the win, right. It's like, we're all winners. We're all have that mindset of like, I'm going for it. And 
there's, I had never been at a race where there were so many people. There's like 30 of us up there that all think we can win, you know? So that is super exciting to me. And it's now there's two more golden ticket races. So it's going to be even more stacked. And there's also people that deferred because of COVID. So they're also in, so it's just going to be even more crazy next year. So, you know, that irrational confidence maybe, but I feel like I'm going to be more prepared than ever for next year. And I'm going to take this, like, this is, this is my every day is that's what I'm, that's what I'm working towards. Back to the professionalism. Great. And I was actually on the golden ticket website just the other day. And I noticed that both Courtney DeWalter and Camille Bruyas, the two top women at UTMB have accepted their golden tickets. I for am 2022. very aware of that, Dylan. <laughs> I'm so excited. This is going to be so fun. So talk about it. Like, Courtney, don't you want to go back to hard rock? Yeah, I mean, come, come on. on. <laughs> just, I'm just you got to get pulled in the lottery first, but um, yeah. talk about sharing it with your, your family and your kids as a mom. What does it feel like to be able to kind of set that example for your two, it's two boys, right? Two sons. I have two boys, a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And they, um, at first I was trying to protect them from the amount of shoes that I was getting because I don't want them to like, just assume that we just can get anything we want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's been very fun because they, you know, they say my mom's a pro athlete and still, it feels very strange for me to say I'm a pro runner. I'm still trying to identify with that in a very real way. It's still very new to me. And I still feel like I need to establish myself on the world stage. And um, I mean, I feel like getting fifth at Western States, I did, but I still, I feel like I'm very new still. And I have a lot to, to work towards, but my kids know that this is not just, you know, something that we're dabbling in. Like this is a lifestyle for us. You know, my husband is very, involved also with this. And so it's just, it's really a family affair and they're really into it. They get excited about it. And yeah, they they want to race. You know, I said to Liam, Liam said, this was a couple weeks ago now, but he was running on trails with me, like, you know, we'll run around. And he said, I said to him, wow, Liam, you're becoming such, or you're going to be such an amazing trail runner. Mm -hmm. And his response was, mom, I already am. Yes. I'm like, oh, it Darn, runs in the family, mom. Come on. Look at, yeah. look at so you and dad. Excited, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. so cool. And yeah. yeah, I think it is so inspiring for other mothers out there to see you have such a strong run at Western States. And I think, uh, you can definitely be an inspiration and, uh, sort of somebody who proves that it is possible to, juggle or wear all these different hats and to support your husband and his endurance pursuits as well and still be a solid tight-knit family who yeah sort of travels as a caravan as as a parade as it seemed you guys did at western states it was so cool to see you guys leaning in for help is a big part of you know being a parent doing this you know so that's important yeah so you know for me after your race at western states it felt like, okay, the next step for Katie is, you know, an international type event. And you just did that at Ultra Trail Huracana, just up in Eastern Canada, not haven't quite made it over on the European circuit quite yet. And I want to talk about that here in a minute, but let's spend a little bit of time talking about Ultra Trail Huracana, 
this is a 125K race in Quebec, I believe it is, uh, a race I've heard great things about. Uh, talk about why you chose to do that after Western States and maybe give us the brief synopsis of how it went there and what you learned. I'll try and keep it brief. Um, so I was chosen by the Ultra Trail World Tour to run the race. So I had asked for a fall event because I knew I was running Western States. So that's the race they gave me. And I was super pumped because I don't know that area at all. And um, honestly, I went into that race very naive. I had never run on the Beast Coast before. Holy moly, that a was a very animal. different train. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's funny too, when I have talks with Saucony, I'm like, I want the lightest shoe and just add grip. Right. And then I run there and I'm like calling the trail strategy team, like, okay, actually we need to keep some of those other shoes on the, you know, whatever. It's just a funny, <laughs> yeah. you know, perspective because I run in the Eastern Sierra. We have incredible trails, as you know, California, we have buttery trails comparatively. And wow, this race was a total, um, just something I wasn't used to. So like ropes and climbing over boulders and like a lot of scrambling and just tons of routes. Um, there was a couple sections where it was like a downhill fire road and I'm like, oh, thank God and I could <laughs> actually run. I'm like, I want to run, you know? So I'm realizing now, like I will not be running the Hurt 100, um, not my strength. Uh, so I really enjoy running and I'm less, um, proficient at scrambling, I guess. Also, I got lost, which was a huge bummer. Um, I like, we were like half mile off trail. It was me and myself and two other guys. And we were like book bushwhack through the, you know, to get to the trail. And that was yeah. like 38 minutes. And I got lost two other times. It was just kind of a bummer. I actually, to be completely honest, I, I think about this a lot because I think a lot of competitors will understand this when you're so close to your goal and then something catastrophic happens like a mm -hmm. fall or getting lost for instance. And, um, I mean, I was like 4k from the end and I was just charging. I was like sixth overall and had come back and was feeling really great. And it was like the downhill descent and then took a wrong turn. And oh, so I ended up being 12th overall. And it was in the back of my mind. I'm like, this is going to be so amazing because I was going to be sixth or seventh overall. Then three women in the top, you yeah. know, six of the race, right? Like, this is going to be historic. I'm like only thinking about how amazing this is out of respect for my, the other two women ahead of me. Like, this is going to be amazing. And then I cross and I'm like, oh my gosh, like the guys that I'd been running with, they're like, what happened to you? And I'm like, ah, oh, I turned the wrong way. So anyways, that yeah. was a big bummer. So I learned a lot that race. Honestly, Pete and I had a total blast. Um, Quebec City was super fun afterwards. And um, it was in Malbay, which is like two hours outside of Quebec City. So it was an area I'd never been a part of. I've been, you know, at, and it was beautiful. And it was a blast. It was really well done. Everything's in French. So it felt yeah. very foreign. Uh, so Really, really so fun race. Learned a lot. <laughs> it, it felt like maybe a European exposure. I mean, I, th yeah. I think this is a, an important part of your evolution here too, Katie. Is like, yeah, I mean, coming off a fifth place finish at, at Western States. Yeah, and then you get a little bit of humble pie, right? Like you got, you 
getting lost is part of the game, right? You still made it to the finish line and also training for, for the specific terrain that you're going to be doing, right? Like if you could have done a five or six week training camp on those types of trails, you would have been fine. Right. So it's just, a, I think a good yeah. learning for like you. How did that not cross my mind? But I honestly don't even know how I would have trained on it. I think when you think of UTMB, you know, you need huge vert. Like, you, yeah. kn- you know, there's certain big races that you are aware of the train, but when it comes to this race, I was like, whatever, I know how to run trails. Yeah. What are you thinking? You yeah, know, right. like, no, this is totally different. So yes, big piece of humble pie, um, getting lost sucks. And also there's so many strong women out there. I mean, yeah. first place, first female got second overall. I mean, she awesome. killed it. So, so, so anyway. let, let's talk about this too, because we, we sort of talked about it yesterday on our little community call, but I think it's important to sort of talk about publicly because I think this is one of the stories of 2021 in ultra running is the women absolutely just smashing it this year. Of course, at Western States, 15 of the top 30 finishers were women, including yourself. We saw Courtney DeWalter finish seventh overall at UTMB. Keeley was fourth overall at Sonoma. Stephanie Case, who I just had on the podcast, was third at Tour de Glacier. This woman at Ultra Trail Huracana was second overall. I think there was two women who, or maybe three women who just smashed it at the Spartathlon. And so, again, this is one of the, I think main stories from the entire year in ultra running, maybe talk a little bit about your perspective, what the energy is like within the women's side of the sport right now. And, and how do you feel being part of it? I don't think it's right now. I think it's forever going forward. I think it's like, this has, I, I, you know, in the past, if a woman won overall, it was a really big deal. You know, like you got to write up an ultra running magazine. It was like, now it's not, I mean, it happens. It's incredible how often it's happening and how often women are in the top five, top 10 of these huge races. So I think um, there's this like energy push, you know, it's almost like this, the idea of the unthinkable, like a sub two marathon or whatever, right? It's like, once it happens, it's like, oh, okay, it can happen. And it's like, now it's all happening and we're all just getting better and better and pushing each other harder and harder. And um, I think maybe more of us are taking it more seriously in that way, like really wanting to be, um, to be able to compete at the best and the like longevity in sport. And I think there's, um, there's just a lot of discussion about that. And I think it's a really exciting time to be in the sport. And I'm just, I'm really proud of what women are doing. And I'm just really thrilled that it's happening now. <laughs> so Yes. Well said. It is very, very exciting. And, uh, you and I, I think, think about the future of the sport quite a lot. And, uh, I could think of no better thing for the future of the sport than to have a year like this happen at a time when a lot of the brands are taking their strategy as it relates to women in the sport and with the proportion of their teams in a lot of cases, I just think the future future is really bright. And I think that you guys are inspiring a lot of people right now. So the future is female Debo. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So let's, uh, let's wind down. This has been so fun. Oh my goodness. You're it's so been awesome. such a joy to chat with you. So let's finish just with generic chat about the future. What uh, I, I really am curious because I, I, obviously you did race in Canada, but it's really the next step for a professional athlete of your level is to go race in Europe and elsewhere 
internationally. What, uh, what do you have planned for the future? What are some of your, your big dreams that you see over the course of the next, say, three to five years? Sure. Um, so I'm, like I said, you know, I have so many bucket lists. And I mean, I've never done Hard Rock or Leadville or I've never been abroad in the, uh, Canada, but that was my first. So I've never been a part of any of the UTMB races. So that, that to me is... Um, makes it even more exciting. Like there's so much I have to learn and I feel like I still have a lot to do to establish myself in the sport. And, but I will also say that I watched very closely the live coverage of UTMB this year and how back to Emily Hoggood was the only runner in the world, male or female, who was able to get top 10 at both Western States and UTMB. So I think watching that carnage was very um, humbling for me to watch that. And I think it's really tough to do that right. And I would never want to hold back even subconsciously from Western States, like any ounce of anything to, because I want to perform um, UTMB week. So, you know, I, I think at this point, I think CCC, like a shorter distance would be more feasible for me. I think UTMB is the, an obvious like goal, um, but with Western states hopefully on the radar for a long time, um, I'm I I might I, I don't know how how I'm going to fit UTMB into that, but I want to run it Eventually. very badly, but I want to also take it really seriously and make sure that I'm prepared uh, for that. So um, yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> I, I think I think that's wise. Uh, you're so. Right. That everybody who attempted to do the Western States UTMB double this year, with the exception of Emily Hoggood, had a really hard UTMB. We did see Abby Hall, who I think was like 13th or 14th, maybe at Western States this year. And then she finished an awesome second place at CCC. So I do think that it would be good for you to go over and potentially do CCC after you, after Western States, because then you would get the exposure to the UTMB vibe. You get to run nearly a hundred K a hundred K that's identical to the UTMB course and uh, generally get your feet wet in the UTMB experience prior to uh, hopefully tackling that that full loop around the mountain. But yeah, I think I speak for a lot of people in that, yeah, it would be awesome to see you competing on that international stage as well. And yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of exciting things happening in the sport. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to go test yourself against international fields as well. Um, but yeah, understanding that, that you've got a free ticket into Western States next year. And because you got so close to the perfect day this year, I'm sure you're going to be hungry and ready for 2022. That's very true. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Katie, again, it's been such a joy to chat with you. I feel like, you know, I, I feel a connection to you. I feel like we share so many things in common and, uh, I'm really excited to, to sort of share this conversation with the world. And I appreciate your time coming on the podcast. Yeah. Come back to Mammoth. You can always crash at our place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully next summer, you know, cause if I don't yeah. get into hard rock, I would hope to do UTMB and then, yeah, I'd love to come back and train there. Cause we had a great summer. So yeah. Awesome. This has been super fun. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks Katie.
Okay, that's it for another episode. Thank you so much to Katie. I had so much fun recording that one and just love the attitude and personality that Katie brings to the sport. I am very much looking forward to continuing to follow her career over the next several years. And if you don't already, go follow Katie on Instagram. I put a link to her profile in the show notes. Go smash the follow button. Drop her a DM, let her know if you enjoyed the show and what resonated with you. And while you're there, feel free to share this episode with your followers too. It always makes me feel good. You can also go leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. The show is really growing, but if you help us continue to reach more listeners, you'll also be helping to help us achieve our goal of saving the world through the beautiful sport of trail running. But that's it for now. Big changes, big announcements coming soon. Lots of exciting things in the near future that I'm so thrilled to share with you eventually. But until then, remember that I love you guys. I appreciate you listening to the show. Until next time, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.